session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Halakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Halakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest books or topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get into the books, wanted to say thank you to everyone who came out yesterday for my seminar on communication, for relationships, and for parenting. It was a really nice day and was happy to share my Sunday afternoon with all of you. And I'll be announcing the next seminar pretty soon. More than likely, it'll be on Sunday, June 24th. Uh, details to be coming soon. But thank you again to everyone who was there yesterday and looking forward to seeing you all at the next one next month. Uh, so before I get into the book from this past week, the book for this week is The Strange Order of Things by Antonio Damasio. The Strange Order of Things, Life, Feeling, and the making of cultures. And I've just um, barely started the book, but I can tell this is going to be a very interesting one um, by a very a great thinker of our time. So I'm looking forward to reading this book and sharing it with you uh, next Wednesday. Monday is Memorial Day, so I won't be doing a live show. So it'll be on next Wednesday's show. But that's The Strange Order of Things by Antonio Damasio really interesting book, which I received as a gift. So um, you thank you to the person who got it. If you're listening, you know who you are. Thank you very much. Let me now talk about the book from this past week, which was Meditation is Not What You Think by John Kabat-Zinn. Meditation is not what you think, mindfulness and why it is so important. And this is actually book one of a four-part series. We'll see. Um, maybe over time, I will get to and through all of the books, but this was the first one. And um, John Kabat-Zinn is a big uh, name in the field of meditation and mindfulness, and he helped uh, create mindfulness-based stress reduction, which has become very popular and led to other um, developments in uh, meditation and mindfulness. And, and he's really a great mind when it comes to meditation, and so I wanted to read this. And he really shares a lot of his thoughts on meditation and as the title implies how it might not be what most people think it is and also in some ways what it is while at the same time recognizing that things like meditation and mindfulness are hard to strictly define um, but he does a good job I think in this book getting into a lot of the uh, different aspects of it and what what it is and isn't um, so I did want to talk about what he discusses in a chapter actually um, called Meditation is Not What You Think, where he goes over some things that people tend to think are meditation or what it is, but it's not that. So one thing he mentions is that meditation is a way of being, not a technique. And so for most of us, we think of 
meditation as an exercise? Do you meditate? And of course, there is some of that. Um, but he points to the fact that when we talk about meditation, it's not just something you do for a few minutes a day. What you want to be able to do is actually be in a meditative state, a mindful state all of the time. And so you might do these certain techniques or that might be how you try to practice it, so to speak. But it's not just about that. It's not that, okay, I've done my meditation, I'm done for the day. It really is something we want to have in all aspects of our life. He also mentions that meditation is not relaxation spelled differently. Sometimes we just think of meditation as a way of relaxing. And as he mentions, it's very likely that if you meditate, you will feel more relaxed. It can come with more feelings of relaxation. But it's not just that. It's not about just becoming relaxed. Um, there's lots of ways to do that. And again, meditation might give you that, but that's not what it's all about. So that's also another aspect of meditation that people think they know, but it's not all that it is. Uh, another thing is people think of meditation as going completely blank, meaning that you don't think about anything. And there is some truth to that in that when you're meditating, for example, focusing on the breath and you're trying to focus on the breath, when a thought comes to your mind, you are asked to try to let go of that thought, to notice it, but let go of that thought. But it doesn't mean you're really thinking of nothing because actually when you're meditating or being in a meditative state, you're being more mindful, meaning that you're so in the moment that you are taking in everything. So you're actually in a way more aware of things. So not thinking about nothing at all, but you are actually even more focused on what is around you and what is going on. Another misconception people can at times have about meditation is that it's about controlling your thoughts. That if I meditate, I will control my, I will no longer become angry. I will no longer feel sad or I'll no longer feel these things. And that's actually not what meditation is about. Again, it might be true that if you meditate for a long period of time and you become more mindful, you'll see benefits like a decrease in anger and depression and anxiety. That can be what happens. But when you are meditating, actually, you're being even more aware of what you're feeling. So rather than not feeling anything or taking away feelings, you're actually in a non-judgmental way being aware of what you're feeling. So you can be sad while you're meditating. You can be angry while you're meditating. And actually, maybe if there's a feeling you didn't want to feel, if you meditate and become mind more mindful, you might be aware of that feeling that was previously something you are not aware of. So meditation isn't this idea that you're just going to always feel calm and good and happy and only notice those things. It's about being more in touch with you, who you are as a whole. We have this idea of like the Zen master who is always calm. And there are people who have meditated for years and years for long periods of time or long hours every day, and they may become more calm and we see that, but we shouldn't think that if I'm going to meditate, it means I'm going to lose those negative feelings. They don't necessarily go away. We actually become even more aware of them. Another thing that's interesting about meditation is that it's not about trying to get somewhere else. Even sometimes we can talk about achieving 
nirvana, and that's he mentions that in the book, and we can talk about achieving some state. But meditation is not about trying to get somewhere. It's actually more about being where you are, as you are, in the moment. So yes, you might experience benefits from meditating long term, but you're not supposed to be striving for that. Or we shouldn't think, I'm going to meditate to get to this goal or achieve something or reach something. It might be a byproduct, but we want to be doing it because of becoming more mindful in the moment. We're supposed to accept who we are and what we are. And he mentions, and it's related to a famous quote by Carl Rogers, that only when we accept things, and it's a paradox, when we accept ourselves or things as they are, only then can we make a change. So meditation and mindfulness is about accepting and being aware of who we are, what we are, what we're feeling, and what is going on, what we can maybe call radical acceptance or non-judgmental awareness. We are aware of what is there, and we accept it as it is, and only then can we actually change. Now, being more mindful, we might wonder, well, what's the point? Why should I care to be more mindful? Well, very importantly, when we become more mindful, we become more aware and in touch with ourselves of who we are, what we feel, uh, what we desire, what we like and dislike. As a therapist, I get to talk to people about what they're feeling and helping them try to understand themselves better. And I'm constantly reminded of how little we know ourselves, even though we are, of course, with ourselves all the time in that I am in my mind or I'm in my body but it doesn't mean I'm actually aware of myself or that I know myself very well. You can ask someone a lot of times, what are you feeling? And very often they say, I don't know. And sometimes jokingly I'll reply, then who should I ask? Because you would think you're the one that's going to know what you're feeling, but we see that very often we don't know. And a lot of times we think we know, but we're denying some true feelings or we're unaware of what we're actually feeling. So by becoming more mindful a big part of what we're doing is we're becoming more in touch with ourselves, dropping into our heart. What do I feel? What do I think? Many of us don't know what we really want in our life. If there's things in our life that we're unhappy about, we might be unaware of that. We might be unaware of our heart's desire of what we'd want to do if we could have any life we could have. And we're just going through the motions through the life that we've been given or that has been created or we've helped obviously create ourselves, but we're not mindfully creating that life. So a big part of meditation and mindfulness is this idea of getting more in touch with who you are, which is incredibly valuable and something that hopefully all of us find important, which is what can make it so uh, meaningful for people. It allows you not only to better connect to yourself, but through that to better connect to other people. Because if we're disconnected with ourselves, it's almost impossible for us really to connect with anyone else. He also talks about in this book uh, the effect of today's day and age, the digital age, and how we're living in this fast-paced world where we're asked to constantly be doing many things. And we are given easy distractions like our smartphones that make it more difficult or in a way we can say make it more convenient to avoid what we're actually feeling and thinking and make it a lot easier for us not to be mindful. 
So it actually takes effort and takes um, some planning to be more mindful in this day and age. It reminds me of the book from a couple months ago, Mindful Tech by David Levy, which um, talked about this, that we can be more mindful of the way we use technology. It doesn't have to get in the way of being mindful, but the way that most of us use our phones and use technology, it completely takes us away from being in the moment. And we're constantly somewhere else, distracting ourselves, getting away from our feelings, our thoughts, and what's going on in our own head. Um, he uses this uh, a phrase from someone else in this book, continual partial attention. We're never really fully giving our full attention to any one thing. I'm checking my email and watching TV at the same time. I'm talking to a friend, but also texting someone else or going on my news feed at the same time. We're not really taking moments to fully be aware of what's going on and experiencing them. And there's also the myth of multitasking, where people think they're being so productive because I'm doing more than one thing at a time, so I'm making a better use of time. But we know that that's not true when you're multitasking. You're not doing several things at the same time. You're just quickly switching your attention from one thing to another and going back to the other thing. And actually, usually you're losing time because in that switching, it takes time to adjust and then readjust to what you're doing in the new task and then switching back to another task. So you're actually not saving time. You're actually becoming less efficient for most people. And so it's actually not helping us. But it's also another way for us to avoid being mindful. Because being mindful is a good thing, but it also means I have to be willing to face myself and what I'm feeling. And many of us would rather avoid our feelings because when we have a feeling like sadness and despair or loneliness or some anger or resentment towards someone, very often we'd rather avoid that feeling because we don't like how it feels and also we don't like what it might mean we have to do. If you realize that you're miserable at your job, that means you might have to take the risk of making a change and putting yourself out there. And maybe that's very scary for you. So it might feel safer for you to not be aware of that feeling. And many of us choose that unawareness over actually being aware and being mindful. But this is what leads to people later in their life regretting the decisions they made and very often the decisions they didn't make in their life because they didn't allow themselves to be in touch with who they really are and what they were really feeling and what they really wanted and desired. So the goal of being more mindful, being more aware of what you're experiencing at any moment and being more connected to yourself, it's a very valuable one and a meaningful one. And meditation and the practicing meditation, as we sometimes talk about it, can be one way to help us achieve that. But overall, this goal of mindfulness should be one that we all have. And so this book, Meditation is Not What You Think, by John Kabat-Zinn, is a great book to introduce to you some thoughts and ideas um, that he has on what meditation is and is not, and some ways of looking at it and thinking about it, and also expressing why it can be so important for us to to become more mindful in our day-to-day -day life. So uh, it was a nice read, and as I said, I might read the other three books in the series, but for now, the book for this next week is The Strange Order of Things 
by Antonio Damasio. Hope you'll join me in reading that, and I'll be talking about that on next Wednesday's show. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you very much for having me on the sure. call. Thank you very My much. Pleasure. Go ahead. Um, so, um, yeah, so um, the topic I'd like to, to discuss with you is uh, about my toddler who's dealing with two things in her life at the moment. Mm-hmm. One is uh, the transition to daycare and at the same time uh, an arrival of a new sibling. So um, would you like me to tell you about it or do you prefer to ask questions? Sure, of course. Well, yeah, how old is your toddler? She's two years and four months. Okay. Yeah, sure. Tell me more. Um, so the the sibling has arrived or not yet? Yes, a little bit ahead of time. Well, over a month and a half ahead of time, it was an emergency um, situation. So, um, yeah, she's still in the hospital, but oh, yeah. Oh wow! Okay. So things are happening all together. Well, yeah, um, I, I wish wish the best in that. So, you're, you're the baby is still in the hospital. Yes. Yes. Wow. She's okay. premature. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, like I said, best of luck with that, and hope it all goes well. Um, I'm sure she's in good. He or she's in good hands. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, the daycare um, training, I decided to do it long before um, uh, my due date, which was uh, on the 29th of June, mm-hmm. and uh, we started on March 1st. Um, the first month of daycare, I decided to stay with her in there. Well, the very first three to four days. The daycare team encouraged me to leave her for a short amount of time, and I did that, and it didn't work. And then I had a meeting with them and told them I'm not going to continue this, and I will stay with her until she's comfortable. So till the end of March, I was literally sitting in the daycare with her um, three to four hours a day. And um, I communicated at the same time with uh, an institution that we have, which has a team of therapists. So they came and assessed her, and then they had a meeting with us, and they thought that um, she's trying mostly to control me with her crying and um, that she doesn't have separation anxiety or school phobia. So, um, and they gave me a plan to start with half an hour a day and then increase it by half an hour each day until um, I'm at the length of time I want her to be in daycare for, which is around four hours. Uh-huh. And we did that, and now it's been um, since the first week of April, she's been going to daycare on her own. She is okay when she's there, but the transition is still very difficult for her. And we're not sure, like my husband and I think that she's genuine in her crying when we're leaving her, but Mm -hmm. then we get the reports and we see the pictures. She's having so much fun there. Um, She's learning, she's playing. 
it's only everyone the the teachers say it's instant once you leave instantly she is quiet mm-hmm. and she is busy playing okay so um so we don't know if we should continue doing this because she really screams and cries and asks us not to leave and every single day we're questioning the decision we made about um putting her into daycare and whether it's too late if we decide to take her out, out now and try it in another time so we're really worried if mm-hmm. if we're causing her any emotional damage here um, okay you know there yeah this is obviously like all these issues with our with little kids they're going to be complicated and let's look at the whole you know the bigger picture to begin with even at the beginning she might have it might have been okay even if she cried if you didn't say that first month uh, she maybe that staying was a little bit more for you than for her I, I get that she was crying but maybe it was your own yeah. guilt of her crying that you couldn't tolerate and maybe it's okay that she cries a bit and she transitions. It's very common. A lot of kids who have this kind of separation anxiety, parents will almost get annoyed because they'll be like, you know, he kicks and screams when we're saying goodbye, but then has the time of their life when they're there, and we get confused. Even in what you said, you almost made it seem like an either-or. Is she happy there, or is she genuinely crying and is sad when we're saying goodbye? And they both can be true. She can not like the goodbye, but then also really enjoy things when she's there. And so they both can be true. Now, another thing that's important to keep in mind is you and your husband, your indecisiveness, that's also going to create an anxiety that she's going to pick up on. So when you're saying goodbye to her, when you're so unsure about, should I even be doing this? And she feels that she might also be playing into that unconsciously. She's not aware of what's going on, but she's going to pick up on that that feeling that you guys have, oh, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I shouldn't even be dropping her off. You're having a hard time with the separation too. And so if yeah. you can get to a better place of what you're doing and say, okay, you know, to me, she's there. I think it's okay to keep her going. Cause if you do it again later on, you'll probably be dealing with the same issues again. Okay. Um, I, I think it's okay, but we can work on how you guys are saying goodbye and also you and your husband being more sure about what you're doing and making her feel that not that you become stern and cold but that you make it clear that the boundary is there that she's going to be going to daycare and and working with her on that because if she cries for a little bit that's okay i know you're saying she's screaming and i'm not there to see what it's like i'm sure it's not easy for you to hear that but it doesn't mean that she shouldn't go just because she cries when she's going and it's still relatively new um the separation again you were yeah. there till about april so it's a newer yeah. thing okay okay yeah we were told of the exact steps to take to tell her the goodbye and we follow the routine mm-hmm. we do everything we need to do apparently confident as we do it but inside we're both like are we doing the right thing? But we're following the exact directions that we were given of um, how to say goodbye and how to make things clear. And even at home when we role play with her and she becomes the mom, she tells me the exact steps and you have to go to daycare, you will have fun there. So I know she understands everything that's happening, but she still emphasizes that I will cry. And she tells us every day, I will cry tomorrow. Hmm. Um, and we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I would empathize with her that you get that it makes her sad when you go and saying goodbye to her and you know it's hard for her. 
Um, does she also say she has a good time when she's there? Or no, she only says, I, I, I'm going to cry. She doesn't say to us that she has a good time. Mm-hmm. So after we pick her up, I ask her, what did you play today? I didn't play anything. Mm-hmm. But I have the report from the teachers that, and, and the pictures of, what, of the activities she does there throughout the day. So she wants us, I don't know if a two-year-old can think that way, but to us, she, she makes it um, appear that she's not having fun there, she's not doing anything there. Um, yeah, so that's the message she gives us mm-hmm. verbally every day, but um, now that she plays on her own, she does the things that she does in daycare, and um, we know that she's learning and, and having fun. But she's not telling us that. Well, so yeah, because <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's not about you know kids. Uh, they, if we look at what they're doing, sometimes it could appear manipulative in a way. But she's really just doing what she can emotionally to, to try to survive. And she's the way I hear it is she does have a good time when she's there, but she gets mad at you guys for the goodbye because she doesn't like it. And almost in a way, it's like I don't want you to get too comfortable with this goodbye or to think. Um, I really like it there so much or that I want to be there because I want to be with you and I don't want you to think yeah. this goodbye is something I'm ever okay with or even, you know, more fearfully that you think I like it so much you'll leave me there, you know, who if there you yeah. can be that concerned. So we want to understand where she's coming from is she doesn't like the goodbye and we can understand that. We want to empathize. She'd rather when she's with you, she doesn't want to say goodbye to you. She'd rather be holding on to you. But then when she's there, she has fun too. And again, they both can be true. It's not that she's lying to you when she starts crying. She really doesn't like that feeling. And I think we have to be aware of the fact that because you stayed before, in a way you gave her the message that if you cry hard enough, I give you what you want. I stay. And that's going to take some time to change. It's not going to just change overnight. But so she still has that feeling. So it's not about her exaggerating because she's faking or lying, but she really wants you. And so she's trying to keep you. And so that could be part of what's going on too. So fortunately that can reduce over time when she sees you care, you're there, but this is what's happening. She'll get, she'll acclimate it slowly and realize it's going to be okay. But I think you and your husband, although you're saying we do everything confidently, and I believe you that you guys are doing that kids pick up on things. You know, they absorb what's going on in the house. They feel your anxiety. They feel the uncertainty, and that's going to affect them. So if you and him come to a better place within yourself and the guilt becomes less and you commit to this, okay, she's going to daycare. We're going to do it. She doesn't like the goodbye, but it seems like from what everyone is telling us, the teachers and then even the psychologists, that it seems like they're okay with it and that it's okay. And so maybe it just hurts us to see our baby crying, which is understandable too, but that it's okay. And if you guys can be more okay with it, I think it will make it easier for her as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's lovely to hear and um, be reassured that we're not doing the wrong thing. <laughs> um, okay, so um, can I move to the next topic? Uh, sure. sibling that's arrived. <laughs> yes, that, and that's another thing. Um, and you know, there and I get that it's a next topic, and you have another question. But of course, we know that all these things are going to be related. The stress in the home, yeah, what okay. you guys have been going through. Of course, this is going to affect your daughter. So, uh, we want to be mindful of that too. Then all of these things are going to be impacting her, and of course, impacting you and your husband. You guys have been through a lot 
um, with all of this. So maybe there's a part of you that's like, you know what? I don't want to have to deal with this crying and this screaming every day. It's too much. And so part of you wants to avoid it, you know, which is understandable. So there's so many things. All these things are related. But yes, um, going on to that, that second aspect. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, it was about 10 days ago that um, I had to be delivered through an emergency C-section, and the hospital I'm in is an hour away from our home. Oh, wow. um, so we don't want her routine, the daycare routine, to change. So the first two days, we didn't bring her to the hospital, and she had a bit of, of a runny nose. So um, she started saying things that she misses me, and... Um, obviously, I haven't left her. It was the second night in her entire short life that um, I was away from her. So mm. we decided after that to bring her every day to the hospital to see me and the baby um, and make sure that she is home for the days that she has uh, daycare so that she doesn't miss that. So there is a lot of going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And um, now my husband and, uh, has rented a place here, so in this another the other city so that they can stay on the weekends so we've been doing that and grandma's been helping so again we were wondering her routine has changed dramatically like um she's mostly with grandparents now and and father my husband and um she's not in her own environment as much as she used to be um what's the best um i would say approach here should we bring her every day should she stay in her, in her own environment, what's more hmm. important here, being close to me as her mother or being in her own routine that she's used to and familiar with? And that's, a, that's a tough question, and I, I wish I had a straightforward answer for you because you're trying to make the best of a complicated or difficult situation where either way something is being missed, and I don't know exactly which one is better my hunch would be seeing you that closeness is going to be very important like losing you um, or your husband that might be even more important than routine but you know we just talked about how important it was for her to continue daycare because she just got more used to it and is dealing with that so if there's a way to do both obviously we'd want to do that it seems like that might not be possible but again this is why um in understanding your situation, it's important for me even, I I could have asked you more about what else is going on because now we can see the separations are going to be harder for both of you guys. You know, you're both not looking forward to saying goodbyes and she definitely isn't because she hasn't been seeing you as much as unpredictability. Even I'm sure with the emergency C-section, there must have been some chaos and stress going on in the home that she either directly experienced or experienced through you guys at some point. So this also will help us better understand her separation issues being magnified uh, in that way. Um, as far as which one's better, I don't know. And even it's hard for me to really understand what the choices would be. Can you make it more clear? What would it be between? What are the choices you guys have? Right now, well, she we we don't yeah, like she doesn't miss daycare at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's just the fact that she has to stay some nights in this a new place that we rented here in in the other city rather than her own bedroom and her own bed and all that. And I'm not with her even even then because I'm still in the hospital. Um, but she's with dad. So, yeah, she's with dad and grandma mostly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in okay, and so um, you stay overnight with the the newborn. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I 
Yeah, I mean, this is a tough situation. And so I think her being close to you guys would be better. So that's my hunch. But you really have to see how she's reacting and responding to it. Um, I know, you know, you calling in, you definitely want a definitive answer from me for this is definitely the better way. I don't have a 100% this is the better way to deal with it. But we want to be aware of all the ways this is going to be impacting all of you. And of course, her uh, having a new sibling is always going to be a kind of a mini trauma for the child to begin with. And so this is definitely adding to it with the one hour away hospital and the constant driving and moving around. And of course, a one hour drive to a kid is like a five hour drive. You know, it's like, you know, that's a lot. So um, this is a lot of things. I think to me, it sounds like you guys all being together as much as possible is good. But then you're with her. You're seeing you might see the toll it takes on her and maybe one time or one day she doesn't come. I don't see it as so black and white, I think. you know that's how i would see it but i think really paying attention to her and how she's doing through all of that um and of course the toll it takes on you guys as well and then seeing what makes the most sense with that but you know this is a tough time for the whole family a beautiful time too a new baby's joining the family but of course a very stressful one for for all of you guys we want to be aware of this little girl it's hard enough for you guys as adults to deal with this girl who's two years and four months imagine her trying to take all of this on too so we're not surprised that yeah. maybe she's crying when she's saying goodbye and it gives us a better understanding of that and we always want to approach our children's behavior with understanding and curiosity um, rather than thinking they're being difficult or defiant which is easy for us to think when we are having a bad day and our kid acts out or it seems like they're trying to get our attention and do something destructive but they're still they're just trying to make sense of the world and trying to do the best they can so we want to be aware of her tears are always telling us something okay okay yeah we just wanted to make sure that we're not doing the wrong thing here or um yeah there is something better to do yeah yeah i mean i think it sounds like you, you guys are doing a lot right and again in a lot of these things it's not going to be so black and white and you guys are are doing the best you can and i think be ready that even after things, let's say, come back to, quote, unquote, some kind of normal, there still could be some effects of everything that's been going on, and we want to be ready for that, too. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks for calling. Good luck to you guys. Uh, it was nice talking to you. Thank you. Where would I be able to hear um, this um, call again? This one, I don't, you know, it plays at some time. I forget off the top of my head in the morning. I upload the show a uh, Wednesday night to my SoundCloud page and uh, iTunes podcast. Okay. 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 All right. All right. Great okay. talking. You have a good night. Thanks. You okay. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delokwi. We'll be right back. back with the last caller um she was sharing about what her family was going through and i appreciated her sharing that very challenging circumstances that they're facing with a two-year-old and a newborn and dealing with the complications uh, that they had to deal with and one thing that came through in our conversation at the end especially she did want some specific advice 
from me. And I hope I gave her some guidance. But oftentimes we want to get a definitive answer as to what is exactly right and what is wrong, while often it's not the case that there is a clear right or wrong. And more important sometimes than what someone might give us as far as advice is we want to make sure we're listening to our kids. Um, And listening is more than just what we do with our ears, but how we observe our children as well. So in my uh, seminar yesterday where I talked about communication and the first part was about parenting and parents communicating with their kids, I emphasize this point that very often when we talk or we think about communication, we think, well, how am I supposed to talk to my kids? And the focus we have in our mind is on talking. How do I talk better? How do I talk so they listen? How do I talk so they like it? Whatever else we might think we focus on, the talking part. But what we sometimes forget is what's most important or more important than the talking is listening. How well are you listening to your child? And related to that, even more important than all of this about communication types of technique is the relationship you have with your child. But when you look at listening, especially with younger kids, it doesn't just mean hearing the words they say, because even before they're verbal, they're not even saying words, but even once they are verbalizing, they can't express much a lot of times. And we also know a lot of what a child is feeling, they can't understand themselves. We as adults, I touched on this in the first segment, talking about the book Meditation is Not What You Think. We very often don't even know what we're feeling. So to try to express what we feel verbally, we can't do. Now, expecting a four-year-old or three-year-old to do that is really expecting way too much and not being realistic. So we have to recognize that very often our kids won't tell us what's going on inside of them, but they might show us. And so when we listen to them, it's listening with our ears, but also with all our senses, especially our eyes and looking at what they're doing. Because a child acting out, for example, causing trouble, it's very easy for us to think, oh, they're just being difficult, or it's a bad kid, or some other negative judgment about them. But if we take a different stance, and in the book, uh, The Developmental Science of Early Childhood by Claudia Gold, which I discussed uh, several weeks ago, it talked about the stance we should have in general, but especially as parents when we're looking at our children, which is one of curiosity and trying to understand our children. And when we have a curiosity stance, it has this non-judgmental stance that I'm not going to try to judge you for what you're doing or tell you you're a bad kid or you're doing something wrong. Everything that you're doing has some reason behind it. And your goal as a parent is to try to understand that reason. So if your child is acting out, making a mess, causing trouble, breaking things, rather than thinking my child is just being difficult and defiant, As Claudia Gold says, maybe your child feels helpless. They want to communicate something to you, and they don't know how. And with their limited ability to express themselves and really limited power, we could say, in the house, this is how they are doing it. So they might be acting out. And what can be tough is when they act out out of feeling that they want more of your attention or because of the stress in the home, that probably means you feel like you have less time and you're more stressed. 
So in that moment that they are acting out, it's actually even a harder moment for you to be there for your kid. But when they are acting out the most, when they are tantruming or when they're being difficult in whatever ways that they're expressing it, that's actually when they need you to be the kindest. And that's what can be so hard as a parent. Your child is acting out. Your child is throwing a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket. And that's when you need to be able to hold it all together and actually respond with kindness and empathy. Doesn't mean you say having a tantrum is good or you encourage that behavior, but they need you the most in that moment. And that could be so, so difficult for you as a parent to do because that's when you're feeling yourself probably the most stressed and depleted. So when we listen to our kids, it means we're seeing every action they're doing as communicating something. Kids have a hard time telling us if they're sad or upset. And you might have a child who doesn't tell you much. And that's a problem that a lot of parents have. They say, you know what, my kid doesn't tell me anything about what's going on at school. I don't know if they're getting teased or bothered or something's bothering them because they don't tell me anything. Well, first and foremost, we got to come back to the relationship. How easy are you making it for your child to communicate to you? First of all, if they tell you anything, how do you react? Do you show too strong of a reaction that scares them or overwhelms them? Are you judgmental to the point where they have a hard time saying anything to you because they're worried about your judgment and the way you're going to uh, think about them or talk about them? Or also, in another way, do you give them the space and time to talk to you? Are you so busy or do you only leave a few moments for them that they maybe don't have the time to talk? If you only leave a few minutes or very limited time and expect your child to tell you everything, it's not going to happen. You have to invest time in the relationship, create a closeness and a connection that then allows your child to open up when they feel comfortable. Opening up is not something that just happens on demand when you want it in the moment. So you have to be willing to give them that space. So first, if they're not telling you anything, rather than just thinking, my child doesn't open up, my child is closed off, my child doesn't talk, you want to think about what am I contributing to this relationship and this dynamic? What am I doing that makes it hard for my child to open up? And yes, kids by their disposition might be different in how much they open up and how willing they are to share things. That might be true. But at the same time, whoever your child is, it's up to you to try to create the best relationship where they feel the most comfortable to share with you and to open up with you. So first, we want to do that. But secondly, even if they're not telling you much, and yes, you work on the relationship, at the same time, you always want to be observing their behavior. How are they carrying themselves? How are they uh, acting in different aspects of their life, behavior, what are they doing in school, how are their grades, they're constantly communicating to you. If a kid doesn't tell you anything but is getting straight Fs, we know something's not okay, something's not right. Exactly what that is you might not know, but they're communicating something to you through those Fs. Or if your kid never makes a mistake and you think, oh my gosh, I have such a great kid because she never does anything wrong and gets perfect grades on everything. That's communicating something to you too, that she's a perfectionist, that maybe she's afraid to make a mistake. Is it because of your reaction or is it some judgment she has or she feels she's unlovable if, unless she's perfect? What's going on? So when we think about communication and we think of your role as a parent to listen to your child, 
be aware that they are constantly communicating to you. They're constantly showing you things, but we have to be mindful enough. And this is why things like mindfulness are so important that we're taking it all in, that we're looking at them fully, not just hearing their words, seeing their actions and not just seeing their actions, try to understand what's underneath those actions, what's motivating their actions. Why might they do this and not that? Why are they constantly doing these types of things? Because all of that is communicating. And being aware as a parent that your actions are constantly communicating to your kids as well. If you are not creating time for them, you are sending them a message. You might think that communication is only when I'm talking to my kids. But if you stay at work till 10 p.m. every night and when you come home they're asleep, you're communicating to them while you're at work. They're at home receiving the message from you that you are not that important to me or other things are more important to you, that to me, than you are in my life. And they're going to hear that loud and clear. So we are constantly communicating back and forth, even if words are not being spoken. And as a parent, it's important to recognize that communication is much more than the words that we communicate to our kids, but the actions that we show them. And if we really want to listen to them, we show them that we actually pay attention to their actions too. And that's another way that a kid feels like you actually care about them and see them. If you pay attention to what they're doing, they know you really see who they are and what they're going through. If you're just waiting for them to come talk to you, that doesn't give them the feeling that you're actually seeing them as a whole person and everything they are and are not doing. So listening is much more important than talking when it comes to communicating with your kids. And listening doesn't just mean hearing their words. It also means listening and paying attention to their actions and behaviors as well. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Again, the book of the week for this week is The Strange Order of Things by Antonio Damasio. The Strange Order of Things, Life, Feeling, and the Making of Cultures. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week. All right. Thank you to our caller and all the listeners out there in fact, here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night.